Hey everybody, Payments Professor here, and welcome to a special edition podcast. This is Predicting Payments for 2024. I've got a couple of special guests, and well, we're just going to sit here and have a conversation like we normally would as Payments Geeks, because this is what we do. But in this one, we're going to try, and I got to stress try, to focus on what our predictions are, what our thoughts of what's happening in 2024 when it comes to electronic payments. Now, to introduce our guests, we got to go ladies first. You've seen her before. You heard her talk about use cases. I mean, the number of views. You guys watched that several times, I just got to say. And it is Dr. Angela Murphy, also known as Payments Elsa. Say hey. Hello, everyone. Glad to be back. All right. And we have Cole Augustine with us. Now, Cole, you're with the Galactic Empire or something like that. Is that correct? <laughs> I, I will certainly take that title. Uh, Galactic Trade Consultants uh, is, is, uh, is, my, uh, is my consultancy. All right. Galactic Trade Consultant, Payments Elsa, and the Payments Professor. What could go wrong? I mean, what could we learn today? Well, we're going to learn about what's happening in the world of electronic payments, but some of this in this conversation, I got to warn you, may never happen, or it might be something that we believe should happen, or it could be something that's going to be happening soon. Who, who, which one of you wants to volunteer to go first with your payment prediction of 2024? I'll dive right in. Um, I think that artificial intelligence is going to have a huge impact on payments in 2024. A lot of what I heard this year was an, an immense amount of trepidation around artificial intelligence. How does this apply to my life? What even is it? And so I've been spending a lot of time helping educate people in financial services about AI, but now we're going to have to take that a step further and figure out how it applies directly to our jobs and to creating better user experiences for our clients. Okay, I'm with you 100%. We're going to see a lot more in AI. We saw so much in 2023 as far as just, uh, it got adopted in so many different industries. I hear a lot of fear surrounding AI. I don't think it's going to be the Terminator. I really believe it is something that helps our jobs. I really believe that I know payments professor as a company of one, you know, I use a lot of things like freelancer and Upwork to get some jobs, you know, completed that I, I need to be able to hand out to other people. And I still do use those services, but AI has helped me so much in the world of banking. I specifically believe it's going to take off and it's going to help us with things like managing risk. What about you, Cole? What do you think? If I can find my mute button, thank you. Uh, you know, I I strongly agree with AI. Uh, so interesting, and I was thinking about this today, and and the area that I'm most interested to see evolve over the next year is not actually the the impact of AI on the payments itself, but on the investments around payments. And so, if I kind of think through this, right, and and you know, uh, as as uh, you know, single member companies ourselves in many cases. I can say I've been so blown away by just the ability to, to operate and be effective in many of the things that I do day to day. And a key thing that I can now do in minutes is put together a pretty competent pitch deck to a VC if I know a few things about payments. And so I am very curious to see how the impact of AI, again, doesn't necessarily impact the payments themselves, but impacts the ability to get and uh, and basically get funding and and, uh, and possibly build something. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thought on that. My thoughts, uh, 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 Dr. Murphy, you want to go? Because here's the thing. I also want to say 
I think AI is going to jump into the loan arena. I know it's already there because it's helping people to be able to do some things as far as the forecasting, as far as the predictions of what's going to be out there. So I think that's actually another area if we're looking at AI where you talk investment in it. Yeah, there's going to be investment because we already know it solves for a lot of the risk management. We know that it will help with fraud. I hate to say this. It actually works both ways on fraud. I'm going there. Because the fact is the fraudsters, they are using AI to their advantage. So we've got to put more money, like you're saying, Cole, into it to be able to fight against what they're doing. And it's going to take AI to beat AI, which AI wins, though. Well, it's about deploying it strategically, particularly if you're a financial services institution. I mean, right now what I see is that there are a lot of entities that are on their back foot because they're just operating out of fear instead of looking at what the problem is, which is fraud and risk. And then also user experience kind of on the more positive side of things and saying, okay, well, we have to solve for this before somebody comes after us first. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me we're going to be proactive as far as being able to stop fraud from happening, because my, I mean, I'm older than you guys. I've been around for a little while. And my experience has been that when it comes to fraud and scams in the electronic banking world, we are reactive. It happens and then we react to it. It gets out of control and then we react to it. Case in point, check fraud. It has been on the rise the past couple of years. And checks aren't new, but it's the things that people are doing that we're now reacting to. Exactly. And one of the things that we're seeing a lot more, particularly in 2023, was check washing. Like there was a $90 million check washing fraud that didn't get caught for 57 days. Do you want to get caught on the hook for $90 million because you can't figure out how to process your checks effectively? Or do you want to spend, I don't know, maybe a third of that, let's say $30 million and invest in artificial intelligence technology to prevent that from happening? That's an easy answer. And so that gets to my, like, so my prediction for 2024 is if you don't start being more proactive about how you're going to tackle fraud and using the right innovations and the right technology, you're going to get acquired or you're going to lose. Ooh, she's being brutal there, Cole. We're going to let her get away with that? Because, you know, here's something I look at on this too. That's true. If you're not, you know, uh, out there doing what you can, if you're not proactive, I do believe you're in trouble. But let's look at it from the other side, too. I talk to a lot of these smaller community financial institutions, and one of the biggest things they will talk about is our budget can't handle it right now. It's not in the scope of things we're doing because of all the other things we're doing. So what are we supposed to tell the smaller institution that doesn't have the big budget to be able to go out there and just start purchasing and doing these things? That brings up such an interesting, uh, and I hate to throw questions at questions, but That brings up such an interesting question with regards to how do financial institutions budget in general. And while I strongly agree, yeah, they're going to say, oh, you know, we don't have the budget to do this. Uh, There's also the counterpoint, well, do you have the budget not to? The interesting part is, and and I I should be cautious in saying this, knowing that we all work with financial institutions, but I suspect in a lot of cases that decision is going to be made anecdotally, not via... uh, via rigorous evaluation of what's actually the right move for the organization. And it'll be, you know, I heard somebody who I trust who says AI is the future, and now I'm going to go 100% this direction without maybe taking a step back to say, 
what am I actually trying to achieve and what is the best path to get here? And maybe AI is a component of that, but, but I'm a huge fan of that everything all at once mentality to say, you can invest in AI, but that doesn't have to be the only thing you invest in, right? Everything else can work well in conjunction. So uh, again, I know that was a little different. Not, not to answer my own question, answer. but it's my podcast. I'm going to do it. So let me go ahead and just say that I think what one of my predictions, one of the things I think that's going to happen and that answers this question too is open banking. I really believe we're going to see more of a push in open banking. We've already seen the CFPB come out with some of the things that, you know, they're starting the investigations or starting to put a little pressure in certain places that, you know, things need to be opened up. There needs to be better communication. And I believe that open banking, the ability of the third party service provider to be able to, you know, the fintechs to have more focus in the things that they do and do very well, you know, that that mentality, stay in your lane, do what you're really good at instead of trying to do everything will be able to help those institutions and be able to do it on a budget. I've had on the podcast uh, organization Effective AI that does work with risk management through AI technology and having somebody who focuses on it, having more open banking capabilities opens up solving for that as well as solving for many of those other problems too without, well, I mean, the budget's going to take a hit, but maybe not without draining it completely or at least making it to where it can be dispersed evenly across where the greater needs are. And I think that gets back to the question of strategy, and you're both touching on that a little bit in your remarks. It's banks cannot be all things to all people. And particularly if you're on the smaller side of the news, you probably know the names and the faces of the people that you're serving. Like you gave Bernadette her home loan and you helped John open his floral business last year. And, you know, you helped your best friend from childhood, like son by a car and all, all these. So like there's this interpersonal component that goes along with being a community or a smaller financial institution. And to answer your question about like how I would respond to those people, when I'm talking to people who talk about budgetary concerns, it's like, Oh, well, we can't afford to do this. It's like, can you afford not to? Because when you look at the risk profile of not innovating and not investing in your financial institution. So for example, I was having lunch with a friend of mine today who is a banker. He works at a bank that's sub 5 billion, right around 4 billion assets. And they were taking a look at a much smaller bank and acquiring a much smaller bank that was 400 million in assets. And they walked away from the transaction because it was clear to them in their due diligence that that bank had not invested in themselves in over 20 years. And so it's about taking a strategic and incremental approach to what are the lowest pieces of fruit that are hanging here that we can use innovation and, you know, bring in an API from this fintech and maybe, you know, work with another bank to kind of maybe figure out how our systems are going to work together. How do we leverage open banking? What does our core look like and how can we augment that with other services? And when you start looking at it from a holistic perspective, as Cole is getting to, it's that you can say, yes, I'm going to use artificial intelligence to reconcile our books in treasury. That solves a huge issue in terms of fraud and check fraud and all these things that we're talking about. And then you can deploy other technologies like the company that you just referenced, Kevin, like let's bring them in to help us with risk. Um, and then I guess this is going to get into another prediction that I have for 2024. I think we're going to see a lot of consolidation in fintech 
Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You're predicting consolidation in fintech. What does consolidation in fintech mean? You got to define that one for me. So I think that the market right now is oversaturated with a lot of players in similar niches. So like when you say stay in your lane, there are way too many fin compliance fintechs out there right now. And they're either going to have to merge with each other or they're going to get purchased by larger entities because there's too many people in that sandbox and not everybody can be the best at compliance. So when I say consolidation, I think that we're going to see fewer fintechs because they're either going to acquire each other or be bought by larger entities because the money's running out. Oh, Cole, you got anything to say to that? Because, oh, I got something on this one. This one gets me excited. Well, well that that is such an interesting thing, right, with regards to consolidation. Um, and, and I almost, if I kind of take a step back and think about this, right, I've, I've often uh, railed against, uh, you know, so, the sometimes nefarious impact of venture capital in, in fintech in general. And, and kind of the, the, you know, the 20-second pitch that I get for that is, in many cases, you're measuring the success of the company on metrics that are not necessarily tied to the actual performance and financial sustainability of that business. You know, oh, my daily active users look great. All these other things that are getting me more funding. And so I think you've got this wide swath of fintechs who probably were way overfunded, uh, you know, under either resourced or, or skilled. But in most cases, there is going to be a valuable, valuable component of those. And so, yeah, Angela, I couldn't agree more. I, I see so much opportunity for those that are especially stronger, or maybe even in some cases, some of the, you know, the weaker or the less stable fintechs with similar focuses to come together, wh whether that's, you know, partnerships, mergers, acquisitions, or, or something else, right? But, but I love, I love where you're going with that. Well, being the old guy on here yet again, I got to tell you one of the things that I do, I'm going to let my secrets out, right? Here's my secret. You people want to know, how do I get a lot of these predictions? How do I you know, know some of these things will happen? I go look at the history. I go look at what's happened before. Like right now, I'm hearing all this pay by bank. It's the newest, greatest thing. No, it's not. It's something that was around 10 years ago. We just called it bill pay through the bank. Okay, that was all it was. We've changed the name. It's the same service. But what you nailed was you hit a niche. You said it was compliance. RegTech is what I hear it really called in that area. Well, you know, if we go back, say, 15 years ago, uh, well, maybe more like at least 10, it was all about check scanning companies. There were all these different check scanning companies out there. You know, let, let me scan your checks, right? And we saw some of them get bought up. They got scooped up by the larger companies over, you know, once the, the mad rush started. I agree with you. I think that's going to happen. I can see it happening in the reg tech space right now because it grew so much over the past few years that maybe there are more than enough players. But another one, and it's probably a 25 prediction, I think we'll eventually see that with our faster payment solutions too. But my word of caution that goes out on that is that when it comes to that scooping up, some of these players are out there because they want to get scooped up. And that scares me. They're out there building something only for the purpose of we're going to sell and make some money out of it. I look for companies that are in for the long run, companies that are sincere about what they're doing and are there to actually be able to serve their customers. And I think that's going to make a big difference. Some of those will still get scooped up. Don't get me wrong. But I really think that you need to look at what is this company really building? What is it they're really trying to do in that process? 
Well, and Kevin, if, if I can push on that a little bit, so I fully agree that that we, um, you know, we can't enter into a case where we're just, uh, you know, we're just building out completely garbage, unsustainable businesses. And at the same time, I don't know that the only measure, again, I'm going to completely contradict what I said a moment ago, but I don't know that the only measure is, is going to be, and you're not implying this, but is going to be how can we create a business that is going to run as is for, for many years. But but where we, where we tie it completely together is you can't just have a business that looks good and is valuable, and you can't just have a business that is a sustainable operating company. You can have a business that is built to sell as long as whoever buys it can incorporate it and make it part of a sustainable operating company. And so, again, I hope that's subtle enough. I, I didn't intend to contradict, but it but it really is. Um, this is such a nuanced space, and I don't know the you know. Um, I'm a bit of a, an economics hobbyist. And so I think a lot about incentives and, and I think in a lot of cases, the incentive structures created by the markets today do not always incent the best behavior. And I'm hopeful uh, that we're starting to see that recognized and more and more we're, we're moving to a case where maybe we are incenting that, that FinTech to actually go build a, a real business as opposed to just get vanity metrics. Well, Cole, I got to point out something. It's not contradicting. It's giving both sides a point of view there. When you give all sides a point of view, you're not necessarily contradicting. I mean, we'll it's all in the wording of things, right? And that, that's, a lot, that's a lot that we see in our industry, too. All right. Any other predictions you guys want to throw out there and discuss? Because I got a long list of things I, to, to go over. So I, I got one interesting one. And, and this is something. Um, so I, I, I've sort of. Um, I've been doing some work in sort of the, the clean energy and infrastructure space. And prior to that, I'd been a payments product manager for a company that did, uh, you know, public transit and mobility. There are, and, and I don't know where this is, but I'm seeing a possible confluence that I think is really interesting. So, um, you know, this group here, we have a lot of conversations with, you know, with the Fed, uh, who's obviously putting out most of our payment systems. And so we're, we're tight there. We know that the Fed has really been trying to change and be a bit more thoughtful and proactive in how they address and build payment systems, right? So with that in mind, uh, some of the recent legislation, so think the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, has a tremendous amount of, uh, of direct payment provisions between the Fed and either companies or individuals. I'm going to keep that a little bit vague because it's big and complex, but I think there is something there knowing that the same people who are changing the tax laws to make it so that you can get, you know, all sorts of benefits and even get paid directly. And, you know, a major player like the Federal Reserve dealing with, let's, you know, forget wires, let's say Fed now, there's something there, I think, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> what do y'all think? Well, I'm not going to say forget wires. I think wires still have a place. I'm going to say here's all the CBDC folks getting out their tinfoil hats again. Like I can just see that happening in in the listenership. Oh yeah, I just lost 50 viewers. Okay, so Cole, if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is we're going to see more legislation that affects payments. That's that's basically the general gist of it to break it down. Is that correct? Uh, or even to add to that, or you um, want so to so yes, I think that a hundred percent. Uh, I'll even clarify and say the legislation that was enacted, I think around 2022. So again, Inflation Reduction Act, Act and CHIPS Act specifically have a, a lot of direct payment provisions from 
the federal government, the businesses or individuals. And given the nature of how some of those industries are structured, there's a potential for a lot more sort of low, low value, high volume transactions. So, 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 you know, I think it's a, it's definitely a safe bet to say there's going to be new regulation in 2024 that is going to impact payments. Um, I'll say the same for 2025 and 2026, right? Um, but, but in this instance, I'm specifically talking about the, the past legislation that is now, I think 2024 will be the year it actually impacts payments. All right, Cole, I'm going to go a different direction on this. I actually had a podcast with Paul Tamala this uh, year. He has his own podcast called Bite Size Payments, does some great stuff. He's over across the pond in the UK, let's say, right? And when we talked about more reg tech type stuff, one of the things he explained was in the UK, they are very preventive. Over in Europe, they look at what's going to happen and they basically, the regulators say, industry, do something about it now or we will. And usually the industry responds. In the U.S., we are reactive. It takes something happening before we're going to do something about it. We're not as proactive. So I don't really see, for example, I don't see any mandates to make FedNow happen. Nothing like what we saw with PICS in Brazil. I don't see any mandates beyond, you know, getting consumers paid. Okay, yeah, there are already laws that have been passing in certain states, but I don't think we'll see Congress or somebody at that level get involved with that. I really think other than the Credit Card Competition Act and seeing where it's going to go, other than the protection of cash, which is something else that's been out there, I don't think the federal government is going to get involved. I think the CBDC will pay attention to protect consumers, but I don't see the federal government getting involved. I'm actually, I'm going to have to agree with Kevin on this one because, and this is something that like I've said multiple times this year on stage, and I'm not sure how popular this opinion is, but I talk about it in terms of like, payments competency. So like, as far as the federal government getting involved, our Congress passed 24 bills this year. That is the least productive congressional session we've had since the early 19, like since like 1974. I mean, it's so like, we're not getting anything done anyway, at the federal level, regardless of what the topic is. So that's part one. Part two is we just lack high level payments experts at that echelon of decision-making. Like we're, we have three of d- some of the best minds in the industry talking right now, but no legislators coming to ask me what I think they should do. And so there's like that lack of knowledge. And then I think the third part is really close to what Kevin said is that we spend so much time being reactive because we, as an industry, pretend that we're afraid of the regulators. And I think that it's a really disingenuous way to engage in innovative thinking and an innovative process. If you're that afraid of the regulators, then maybe you should force them into action in one way or another. And if you're not afraid of them, then you should have been doing more innovative things within your institution 10 years ago. So that's kind of my critique of that whole situation. I I agree with Kevin. I don't think we're going to see a lot more legislation or policy making that's going to be effective or useful in 2024. Yeah. And I do want people to know again, too, that, you know, because I get a lot of comments and questions about this. FedNow is not meant to take away your cash. It's not going to be out there. FedNow also, since CBDC has been mentioned, 
you know, again, people that are out there listening, Fed now is not a CBDC. And I will make the prediction of we will not, at least not in 2024, see a CBDC coming in the U.S. Because uh, if you're listening, a CBDC is something that can replace cash and works like a cash replacement because it is. I mean, it actually fully represents your physical dollars. Fed now does not replace your cash, does not take away your cash. And I even mentioned, I know there have been things in Congress to protect and make sure that cash is always out there and available. And I believe in the U.S. it will always be out there and available. And I do not see in 2024 where a CBDC will be allowed in the U.S. Europe, that's different. But the U.S., no. I, I would tend to agree. I, I would be surprised to see a CBDC in the U.S. Um, and, and maybe for a bigger a bigger topic, if we decide to get there, is is what would the value be be in general? <laughs> uh, but, but again, uh, we, we want to preserve listeners here, and that's an extremely controversial topic uh, that that I will not claim to be the expert on. Um, well, the, the, the listeners know, or if you don't know, go to the YouTube channel. Tons of videos on there, a couple of podcasts even dedicated to it. I really think that we should be able to move beyond CBDCs because there's a lot of other things that the three of us probably can foresee or want to see happening in 2024. Yeah, so I think it's your turn, Kevin, because I threw out a couple, Cole threw out a couple. Okay, my turn, huh? We're, and we're going to run out of time here. So I'm going to throw out a fun one before we end up this episode. And I'm going to go with, it's a little bit back on the fraud part of things. And I mentioned a little bit about PICS. I do a lot of you know research on what's happening with PICS in Brazil. I had a friend down here, Caroline from uh, JJ Tech, that you know educated us on what's happening in Brazil. And one of the things that they have happening there is there's more mandate on the the communication aspect when fraud happens. The communication aspect, as far as the financial institutions have to communicate with each other and let each other know that fraud's happening. The communication aspect also goes as far as working more with law enforcement to get that information out there. Now in the US, as far as getting that information shared with police, a lot of times can't take subpoenas. So I don't think that will get that far just yet, but I do know that institutions, when they can, will work with law enforcement. But what I think is going to happen is we have RTP already has some rules for reporting a fraud and we have Fed now that's going to have rules of reporting for fraud. So as we see fraud happen in those faster payment channels, and yes, it will happen. It happens in every payment channel. I think we're going to start seeing to where the financial institutions will realize how much value is there is in the data sharing and that we will start seeing more data sharing on fraud, not of your personal data and what you're using your payments for. But when the fraud takes place, the more alerts that will go out, more information will begin to be shared because we'll see that these proactive networks that require the reporting will be able to quickly act and reduce fraud when it happens. Yes. <laughs> Cole and I are nodding. I mean, come on, guys. What, what do you think? I don't know. I like part of me sees the merit in that prediction. And part of me is hearing my banker friends in the back of my head being like, no, these are my datas. Mm. Like, because they don't care at an institutional level, even if it would prevent fraud or provide better information about fraud, if they were going to share that data before, they would have, and they haven't. 
having it tied to FedNow or to the RTP network, I'm not sure that it's going to shift it because they've had the capabilities for longer than I've mm-hmm. been alive to share fraud data and to like track that down. So for example, like check washing can be geographic, right? You could trace that geographically because these cells of fraudsters move. They don't stay in one place because they will get found out and then like, people will arrest them. And like you could track that from state to state or region to region if banks would share that information. And even like bank branches or yeah, I'll say that bank branches in different states that are under like a larger bank umbrella, they're not sharing that information with each other. And so they'll there's a cell that's out in the West and then they move over, you know, to Appalachia, to Tennessee, Kentucky, et cetera, because it's easier to execute on this particular scheme there. And then they're like, oh, well, this was great here. So now we're going to Illinois and there's branches of the same bank in all of those regions. And they're not talking to each other at an institutional level because they're not sharing that fraud information even with themselves. So I'm, I'm not so sure that banks are going to share it with each other in 2024. They should. And if you're listening to this and you're concerned about fraud, you should. Um, But I'm not sure it'll happen. (laughs) I, Angela, I love that. Now it's interesting. So I like listening to you talk, I a hundred percent agree. And let me share my experience, which, which is, 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 is different, I think, in an informative way. But but again, this is only my personal experience. So I'm not going to make a blanket statement. So one of the things, so I spent you know 20 odd years in banking, and then I've been out of banking and in tech and fintech for I don't know, six or seven or so years, right? And back in my banking days, if I had an issue, I'd pick up the phone, I'd you know call some of my banker buddies, and I wouldn't necessarily share customer information, but we'd share, you know, what, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? What's the issue that I'm dealing with? And there was a lot of pretty open information sharing right up to that point where we could. And then outside of that, you knew you had your 314A and 314B rules for, forget which one's law enforcement and which one's between banks, but, you know, for sharing information. The shock for me when I moved to fintech, um, and again, I'm talking much more, you know, consumer and business facing directly as opposed to being sold to, to financial institutions what was the pure lack of information sharing? The the almost unwillingness, not just to call up your other fintech buddies, but even in some cases, like, hey, we've got this issue with a check. Uh, what do we do? My response is, well, call call the bank. You know, call your partner bank. They'll they'll walk you through how we need to do it. It's like, oh, well, but we can't do that. And and so th- there's this strange kind of um, and and I, to opine, I don't know if this is true. I've always sort of thought it's the idea that you know fintech tends to be sort of these you know tech startup entrepreneurs, and we all think we've got this super secret sauce and we need to protect it. Banks kind of know eh, some of it, but most of it's not right. So so anyway, my, my perspective has been in practice that fintech rarely shares. Banks are better at it, but but a hundred percent, none of them are. Like none of them are adequate. <laughs> <laughs> That's the uh, nicest way I've heard that put. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is the nicest way to put it. And as far as data sharing, I, uh, I, I'm going to have to share some information, which is going to be how to get a hold of me in case you got an idea for a podcast or somebody you'd like to be on the podcast because we've run out of time today. And I'm going to have to say this is the end of part one 
part one of predicting payments for 2024. We talked about AI. We talked about risk. We talked about consolidation of compliance, fintechs. We talked about communication and data sharing, too. And if there is somebody you think should be on the payments podium or maybe a topic you'd like to have discussed, email me, Kevin at PaymentsProfessor.com, and I'll do what I can to get them on here. But for now, I got to say, class dismissed. <music>